0: Now that I escape, sleep, away. Yeah.
1: woke up this morning, looked at my calendar, shmoney season, welcome to DFS MVP, Chris Raybon here with my man, Mr. TJ Hernandez, it's been a minute TJ, what's up?
0: Chris, I'm glad to be back, I, I, I would say I miss you, but I, I talk to you every week, but I do miss the listeners, very excited to be back for the first podcast of the twenty seventeen football season. I'm in San Diego. Yeah, you know, you you're welcome back anytime. I, I know I got to see you a little earlier in the year. Um everybody's always welcome to come visit uh the the greatest city in the world. I don't know about that,
1: but you know, New York, New York, but let's get into this DFS MVP twenty seventeen season. Let's kick it off the right way. You guys know we gotta start by talking about the music that played us in Ready or Not by the Fugees. Why'd you choose this song, TJ? Uh,
0: I think it was just fitting. Uh, I don't think everybody knew we were coming back, but I always try to get a song that fits in with the theme of the show, and we're back. So Ready or Not, here we are. Yes, sir. I've
1: been getting a lot of tweets. When is DFS MVP coming back? Is here. We're going to do this. Today, we're going to talk about some Week 1 pricing – We're going to go over running backs, we're going to go over wide receivers, the two most important positions. We'll also talk about some regular redraft ADP along the way, just give our general thoughts on the players involved, because I know a lot of you guys are also drafting in regular leagues as well. So, a lot to talk about, and one thing I want to mention before we actually get into this is... We got some free t-shirts for you guys, for you listeners. If you give us a rating review on iTunes, you can be entered to win a free DFS MVP t-shirt from the 4 for 4 store. We have two. We have the blue DFS MVP one. It's the classic one. And then we have the Let's Get This Shmoney shirt with the chronic logo. So you get to take your pick of either of those if you go to itunes and rate and review the pod and also retweet it any of our tweets of the podcast whether it's mine tj's or four for four just so we have your uh, username we will pick a random winner and we will announce it on next week's pod so if you want a t-shirt do us a favor head on over to itunes rate and review it but let's get right into Some week one pricing, start at the top, Antonio Brown. We know he has better home splits than road splits. TJ, is Antonio Brown still the top play of the week one slate? He's at Cleveland. You have Julio at Chicago and you have Odell at Dallas. Is is Antonio Brown still the top play even though he's on the road?
0: Um, I, I think this is going to be a spot where, against this Cleveland defense, uh, we've seen Pittsburgh do really well, uh, against this, def- against this defense. Um, he's probably still going to be my top play. One interesting note, and I know we're going to be talking about running backs and wide receivers here, but, uh, what really caught my eye in looking at this Pittsburgh offense is that Ben Roethlisberger's priced as the number one quarterback on DraftKings. And that's really shocking, especially for week one, because a lot of times we see, uh, at least in the past, we've seen week one pricing be a little more reflective of something like ADP or public perception, just because we don't have a lot of data to go on. Uh, Early season defensive matchups aren't as reliable as later in the season. So to see DraftKings pricing up this whole team that much, Ben Roethlisberger ahead of so many, I mean, we're talking about ahead of... Um, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, a lot of times just name value gets these guys to the top early in the season. That's what really has me interested in this offense.
1: Yeah, it's really, really interesting Ben Roethlisberger's price because I wonder if they, I wonder if it's all to do with Cleveland and the Cleveland defense or it has something to do with the imminent return of Martavis Bryant because, and I wrote about this in my Three key facts about every NFL team's offense. That's up on 4 for right now if you want to check it out or you can find it on my Twitter timeline. But when Martavis is on the field, Ben Roethlisberger, 337 yards per game, 8.4 yards per attempt, 2.1 touchdowns per game. Those are way up over his averages without Martavis since 2014 without Martavis he's just at 276 yards per game 8.0 yards per attempt and 1.78 touchdowns per game so I wonder if it has something to do with that and then what's interesting getting back to Antonio Brown is that Brown also is a quarter is a receiver that benefits um from from that from Martavis being on the field it's not a cannibalization issue at all actually what happens is Brown averages 114 yards on nine catches when Br- when Bryant is on the field compared to 94 yards and seven catches when Brown is off the field. So this could be a really interesting situation where people might think that maybe Roethlisberger doesn't deserve the price or maybe Brown is not quite worth it as a number one play on the road or with Martavis back, assuming he does come back. But uh, it might actually be a good spot for these guys. Roethlisberger is always going to be a question mark on the road, but. Moving on to the next tier of wide receivers. Actually, before I go, TJ, real quick, were you season-long Brown, Jones, Beckham, and does it change between standard and PPR?
0: Yeah, it doesn't change for me, <clears throat> standard and PPR. Uh, I've always kind of went, uh, at least the past couple of years, in the order of, of uh, Brown, Beckham, Jones. I think that this year I'm probably going to just give Odell a slight bump over Antonio with Julio coming in third. We just haven't seen Julio have the touchdown upside to jump either Odell or Antonio. But um I, I think that just the way that the Giants offense is structured and with the the fewer people that are going to compete for touchdowns in that offense – uh, way more pass-heavy offense than Pittsburgh. I think that Odell in his range of outcomes has a 20 touchdown season where Antonio, it's, it's 1A, 1B clearly, but I, I just don't think Antonio has that 20 touchdown season in his ra- range of outcomes. I think we can, if there's any player that's ever going to come close to what Randy Moss did in 07, I think it's Odell in this offense. And obviously that is, Um, uh, the, the percent chance of that happening is very low, but just the fact that I think it is a possibility just gives me the slight bump over Antonio.
1: Yeah, I agree. Odell is my number one receiver period this year right now, just because like you said, three years in a row, the first three years of his career, over 10 touchdowns every year, just brilliant. He's going to have probably a better season than that. At some point, he hasn't Mm -hmm. peaked yet. This is not when receivers usually are just entering their peak. After three seasons or so. So I think Odell's up there. And Julio's really interesting. Because he only played on 77% of the snaps last year. Was second in the league in receiving. Steve Sarkeesian, the new OC for the Falcons. Is talking about he wants to get Julio more involved in the red zone. We hear coaches say things like that every year. So I think you have to believe that when you see it. But just from a perspective of Julio missed about a quarter of the snaps. And the Falcons play volume was 26th in the league overall if they're going to regress efficiency wise the volume should increase and Sarkeesian wants to up the tempo so I think who you could make a case for Julio probably number two or even number one as well Antonio's just kind of that super safe guy that also could have a ridiculous season at any time but yeah I think Odell for me is the clear number one let's go to the next tier of wideouts We have A.J. Green, Mike Evans, Jordy Nelson in that range on DraftKings. 8K for Green, 7.8 for Evans, and then 7.6 for Jordy there on DraftKings. Jordy, cheaper on FanDuel. He's below Dez. He's at 77. Dez is at 78. T.Y. is at 80. So, T.J., what are you thinking about this next tier? Let's include T.Y. and that include Dez as well. Dez had some trouble last year against the New York Giants jordy is going against seattle so i know at least from a public perception point of view in dfs his ownership is going to be somewhat held in check what are you thinking with these guys
0: yeah i mean i i think that obviously we still have quite a few weeks until we can really analyze these matchups just in case of of any injury or whatnot does probably in not even just this first week but for the first few weeks he's going to have uh what probably have some trouble against some number 1 corners that he's going to be facing. I think people are going to have that same perception with Jordy um but the Seahawks weren't as good against receivers as people think last year, we have them ranked right now 27th in adjusted fantasy points allowed, which accounts for, uh, last year's ranking and then adjusts for any change in the offseason. So I, I think the public perception against Jordy is that he's going to struggle against Richard Sherman, but we know Richard Sherman generally doesn't travel. And we've seen, uh, Green Bay, I think it was Devontae Adams' rookie year where they just basically, uh, punted his game and, and, uh, to make sure Jordy wasn't lined up on, on Sherman. So we know that's in their game plan. And when you couple that with the fact that the casual fan probably isn't going to recognize that, especially in GPPs, Jordy's going to be the guy that I'm really looking to in this tier.
1: Yeah. Those are some great points. I think Jordy is a guy that even in a tough matchup, because of how good his quarterback is and because of, you know, how good he is around the goal line, regardless of whether he's having much success between the twenties, Jordy's always in play as a multi touchdown threat. And in fact, we, we saw that last time they played Seattle, Jordy did not get many yards, but he scored two touchdowns and Richard Sherman, according to player profiler and shout out to them, four for four has partnered with them this year. So we're going to have all that cornerback data and a whole bunch of other great charting metrics that we didn't have in the past. Richard Sherman among 101 corners that drew at least 40 targets in 2016 Sherman was 56th in yards per target allowed at 7.47 so Sherman he's not a guy that's necessarily going to to, to just ruin your dfs day especially against a quality receiver like Jordy Nelson I think we saw last season we saw Mike Evans Uh, get off against the Seahawks we saw Julio Jones get off against the Seahawks so if if Jordy Nelson's ownership is going to be in the single digits I think that's a really good tournament play now TJ you have the regression articles every year some of the coolest articles I think that you put out and essentially it assigns a expected value for every player's target or touch in the red zone. And you kind of calculate how many touchdowns each player was supposed to score last year and look at that versus how many they actually scored. And I believe Devontae was a regression candidate and Jordy was as well or was it just Devontae?
0: Yeah, they both were. More so Devontae. I mean, Jordy is is a player that <clears throat> we've seen him uh, perform at a very high level in terms of of touchdown rate before. Uh, as well as his quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. We all know that they're very efficient together. Uh, that whole team kind of overperformed last year on a season long level. Um, but Devontae is, is a player that scored so far over his expectation. We know we have a, a somewhat short sample with him, but we don't have an extended sample size of him being dominant at scoring touchdowns. So there is probably a little bit of reason for concern there on a season long level. Um, when I'm looking at those, uh, regression articles and trying to evaluate how it's going to affect my my df DFs decisions, probably not going to use them to fade a really good matchup in the early season. What I do like to do with those and all of my redraft research is keep an eye on players that I think are going to be breakouts or your sleepers uh, in redraft and usually those guys are going to be undervalued really early in DFS season. So if you do see a guy with with a decent matchup and somebody that's kind of off the radar and you've been doing your homework all offseason and you expect them to have a really good year, then jump on those guys before their price goes up. Um One of the most classic examples is Alan Robinson 2 years ago if you if you were on that train then you probably bought him early in DFS and we all know how that ended he ended up being one of the most expensive receivers week to week by the middle of the season cuz he was so dominant so that's really how I like to use those regression articles
1: Yeah man and if you guys haven't been doing your homework just get that 4 for 4 sub man we got you we've been doing your homework for you Um but going back to your point real quick on this Green Bay offense let's just stay there for a second one of the reasons I asked you about Jordy and Devontae is because I'm starting to warm up to somebody else in that offense, and it's Randall Cobb, because I think he's getting just so slept on. His price is 5300 on DraftKings, which is kind of that, you know, wide receiver two irrelevant kind of price, and in season-long leagues, he's going in the ninth round in, in some formats, especially standard formats, but as I wrote again in my three key facts and tendencies article is in his career first of all mike mccarthy throws the ball inside the five more than any other play caller more than any team aaron Rodgers, when they're inside the five they throw now in his career jordy nelson 50% touchdown rate 18 of 36 inside the five Devontae adams 6 of 12 okay randall cobb is 15 of 22 now that could be a regression uh, candidate. But at the same time, that, that's really good success rate. And it, it's something that Cobb only had a f- four touchdowns, I believe, last year. We saw him put up a three-touchdown game in the postseason, even though those weren't short touchdowns. More what I'm saying is I think Randall Cobb, or anybody for that matter, who's catching passes from Aaron Rodgers, who's playing a good percentage of the snaps with Aaron Rodgers, is a major threat. To have ten ten or more touchdowns, and I think Cobb is one of those guys that i 'm kind of scooping up late in drafts with the hopes that hey either some positive regression happens or you know maybe Adams or Nelson misses a few games here and there, and I think Cobb could score a lot of touchdowns this year. Um, what do you think about potentially rolling him out in week one against Seattle?
0: Well, I think the most interesting thing about him at least on Draftkings, is he's a hundred dollars more than Devontae Adams and what we tend to see with ownership, even if it's only $100, people are going to see those names right next to each other. If they want to save that wide receiver and not pay up for Jordy, they're going to look at him, say he's $100 cheaper, and that ownership, I guarantee you, is probably going to be four five X, if not way more than Randall Cobbs. And we all know that, uh, tournaments revolve around ownership. And if you do think Adams is going to be a regression candidate and you do think his touchdowns are going to come down, but uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to at least maintain pretty close to what he did. Those scores have to go somewhere. So why not, uh, over the middle of the field where those throws are a lot shorter in that short space, like, like you mentioned.
1: Definitely, man. And I guess we're spending a lot of time on this Green Bay-Seattle game. It's probably not even going to be owned that highly. So hopefully some good contrarian plays come out of that. We'll, of course, readdress it closer to week one after the preseason's all wrapped up, of course. But just wanted to get thoughts on some of those games and, and some ADP. So let's keep going down the wide receiver list. Amari Cooper's on draftings is at 72 hundo. You got T.Y. Hilton at 69 Doug Baldwin at 67, and then Golden Tate at 65, and Sammy Watkins at 62. So let's start with Sammy Watkins. What were your takeaways from, and it doesn't just have to be about Sammy, but the whole trade that sent Sammy to L.A., that sent Jordan Matthews to Buffalo, uh, what do you think about all that, as in terms of what it means for DFS and redraft?
0: Um, I, I don't think too positively about it for really any of the parties involved. I think Sammy Watkins goes to arguably the worst quarterback in the league um in Jared Goff, and maybe one of the worst offenses, at least of what we saw in the past. Now, they do have a new offensive coordinator, Sean McVay, who uh, did very well with Washington, but that was also uh, under the tutelage of Jay Gruden, who uh, was more of the play caller there. So it's still a little bit to be determined what he'll do uh with Goff and with Watkins, but I think that we saw how good Watkins and, um, uh, Tyrod Taylor were together, uh, in the, when they were together, that's really going to hurt Tyrod. Now he has basically three slot receivers in Zay Joes, Anquan Bolden, and Jordan Matthews. Uh, they barely threw over the middle last year, one of the uh, the smallest percentage of throws over the middle, so they obviously want to address that. I don't know if they... The, the team didn't like what they saw from Tyrod throwing outside the numbers, but they really don't have that deep threat or someone to throw outside to at all right now, so it's it's curious to see what they're going to do with that receiving core, but uh, I, I think overall it, it gives uh, Buffalo a little bit of a, at least in their passing offense, a little bit of a decline. The Rams I, I don't think it does much. I think they're still probably going to be a pretty anemic offense with Goff under center so not really anything I'm too excited about in that trade.
1: Yeah, it, really eyebrow raising for the Bills. I don't know exactly. I know what they're doing. I don't know why. Just like you, I Tyrod Taylor's strength is not throwing over the middle. He doesn't see throws over the middle. He was relatively efficient playing in the offense that he was playing in. Now they're trying to get him into this kind of get the ball out quick, go through your progressions, throw over the middle. And that's all nice and dandy, but you're giving him, you're kind of tying a hand behind his back with the receivers you're giving him. We already saw Jordan Matthews struggle in the past when he was asked to kind of really be the number one wide receiver. I think he's always going to be better as a number two option. Zay Jones is... he looks really good on in college tape, and and he can put up some numbers. But in the NFL, I think he's gonna kind of be more just a guy. I mean, he'll probably catch some balls underneath. But to me, he's just kind of another Robert Woods. I mean, maybe he'll surprise me, but as of right now, anyway, I think that's how you have to look at it. So not really feeling that. And then Sammy against last time he played the Colts, uh, 2015, Vontae Davis, Sammy three targets, no catches. So. That's something to keep in mind. I don't think week one is the time to play it. I'm actually probably a little more bullish on the Rams offense than you. I don't think they'll be the worst offense in the league this year. I think McVay will make a big difference. I think I think Jeff Fisher was really that bad and his regime was that poisonous that it just kind of ruined Jared Goff's year one. I mean, this guy still is a, a top pick in the draft. We, we saw, just let, let's think about, let's say Jared Goff got drafted in 2015. Or that Todd Gurley didn't. And like that was his first year last year. We would have thought Todd Gurley was horrible, but the year before we saw what Gurley could do. So I mean, I think it just got really bad last year. And I I think there will be some improvement, especially with uh, adding Whitworth on the O line. But week one, not the time, in my opinion, to use Watkins. I I would probably uh, roll out Gurley in week one. Uh, Terrell Pryor, are you, are you, are you using him on both sites in week one? He's a lot cheaper on, Fanduel than he is on DraftKings. He's 6200 on Fanduel. That's the 30th ranked player at his position, but on, on on DK is the 13th. So I mean, still not that expensive. 6100 certainly affordable. Eagles still probably some shaky cornerback play, even though they got Darby. What do you think about prior?
0: Yeah, and one way that I like to look at value, especially in week one when we don't have a ton of data, is exactly what you mentioned. We'll go through some more of these players shortly, but um, just comparing their positional rank on one side to another, and we see that big of a discrepancy. Uh, that should raise some eyebrows. So probably, if I'm looking to get uh, my value plays at wide receiver, Terrell Pryor is going to be a guy that I want to fit in there, and I believe that he's at, he's priced pretty significantly uh, below Jameson Crowder, and I. I don't know that he's going to. Okay, I have that backwards. Crowder's actually priced about uh 700 below um prior on on DraftKings. So um ju- just kind of thinking about that though, as the 30th wide receiver on Fanduel. I mean, there's there's something there, and we were talking about a, a little bit off air. It almost seems like he's a type of player where that should be flip flop based on on the scoring, kind of mm-hmm. more of a more of a touchdown guy. I don't think he's going to get. Huge PPR value, especially because, uh, Crowder and Reed are there. So that's just really interesting to me that he's that cheap on FanDuel. So if I am playing him, I think it'll definitely be over there. Um, and then with, with Crowder, who's probably going to be more of the PPR guy and cheaper on DraftKings, more likely to go that way on that side. Golden
1: Tate is a guy that just continuously puts up 90 catch seasons. We don't really talk about him much. He's playing Arizona in week one. He's 69. 100 on FanDuel and on DraftKings he is 6500 so he's kind of right in the middle of Pryor and Baldwin and Hilton and all these guys any thoughts on Tate um season long is he still kind of in that same third fourth round window for you and do you have any concern about using him in week one maybe Patrick Peterson potentially following him
0: yeah. So my concerns, at least on, on DraftKings with Tate are just kind of the guys that he's around. I can get Doug Baldwin for $200 more. Uh, we just talked about Sammy Watkins. I'm not too high on him, but we got Pryor right below him, Crabtree, Tavis right below him. So he's just kind of in a price range, at least on DraftKings, uh, around guys that I'd rather have. Same kind of over on FanDuel. Priced the same as Michael Crabtree. Um, just a couple hundred below. Hopkins and Jeffrey, so again, just kind of jammed into a spot where I, I don't think I'm going to own much of them. In redraft, it really comes down to my first few-round roster construction. Tate's never a guy that I want to anchor my wide receiver core, but if I started with a wide receiver early draft and I've... um Not anymore, but if I maybe had a guy like Sammy Watkins in the third round come back and get Tate, who's going to be a little more steady in the fourth, um, I'm fine with that. But if I start running back heavy, Tate's kind of a guy that I'm avoiding as my wide receiver one or two.
1: So you've essentially moved Watkins down at least a round since he got uh, traded to the right. Yeah, that's about fair. Gotcha. Alshon Jeffrey, that's an interesting name. He's another guy going around those guys. He's 7K on FanDuel, so he's, as you said, he's right above, and then on DK, he's actually a lot cheaper, 5,800. You're not used to seeing Alshon quite that low on DK. Is this a situation where you want to target him, or is Josh Norman just a no-go for you, Uh, and what do you think about him in redraft, because he really does have a difficult schedule all season, it's not just Josh Norman. He'll play Patrick Peterson. He'll play Janoris Jenkins twice. He'll play uh, Sherman. There's just a lot of corners that he'll face that'll be uh, difficult matchups for him. And he's another guy like Des who tends to destroy the weaker corners, but. Has some trouble against the better corner. So, how are you feeling about Alshon in redraft in in week one?
0: Yeah, you your point. uh We've talked about this a lot over the past couple of weeks about that whole NFC East schedule against quarterbacks has cooled me down a little bit on Alshon. Um, I think the initial reaction to Alshon going to the Eagles and them having a crowded receiving core, I think that uh, was a little overblown, and now with Jordan Matthews gone, uh, obviously there's a lot of room for Alshon to inherit a pretty significant target share. Even before that, I think the top of his range of outcomes was somewhere around 140 targets. Uh, with Matthews gone and Alshon pretty clearly the number one wide receiver, I think that is smack dab in the middle of his range of outcomes now, and Carson Wentz is a player who I mentioned in the regression articles that we talked about as a positive regression candidate. So I do like Alshon where he's going in redraft. I think he's pretty fairly priced, probably avoiding him uh for the most part in week one, kind of for the same reasons that that I mentioned with Tate. He's just in that price range, at least on FanDuel, around some cra- guys like Crabtree and Baldwin that I'd much rather have. On DraftKings, where he's priced down, going to be pretty intriguing. Uh Probably going to be a little concerned about Josh Norman. And it's gonna be hard for me to make him a guy that's really highly owned, but priced down as the wide receiver outside the top twenty. I, I it's hard to pass up that price. Yeah,
1: it's it's an interesting thing. I think people probably will be thinking about that come week one. Um, for me, he's just kind of a no touch. I don't really mess with Josh Norman. I was I was a fan of Josh Norman before a lot of people even knew who mm-hmm. he was. Um, I think he's just that good. I think he will follow more this year. And in season one, I I already have a lot of shares of Alshon in best ball from just earlier drafts throughout the offseason because I felt he was going too eight. He was lasting until uh, the 3-4 turns sometimes into the fourth round, and I was scooping him up every time there. So I'm cooling down just because to kind of balance that out with the schedule um Norman week 1 in Arrowhead week 2 against the Giants in week 3 uh against Patrick Peterson in week 5 back Norman week 7 you have the Broncos and to Talib and Chris Harris in week 9 and Richard Sherman in week 13 the Giants again in week 15 so i'm just going to kind of i think Alshon will be a very volatile as said, he probably is a better best ball pick just so you don't even have to worry about that. But even in season long, I mean, he's not the worst pick because I think the the, the times where you do start him or, or sit him are pretty obvious. But at the same time, I think he's a player that you're going to have to sit in certain matchups, I think. And if you're drafting a guy in the third, fourth round, that's not necessarily something you want to be doing is drafting a guy that you know you're probably going to sit three, four, five, six times. Um So I'm probably just going to continue to ride out my my share from earlier in the summer in, in best ball with him and, and kind of leave him alone for now going forward. Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree seem to have the kind of similar number of targets, yards every year, but Crabtree gets more touchdowns. Do you think, TJ, that this will be the year that Amari Cooper separates himself from this just unsexy, but super reliable fantasy pick in Michael Crabtree.
0: He's interesting because there's the notion that he, that he, uh, being Amari Cooper, gets no love in the red zone, and he doesn't get the amount that you would expect. Um, but based on what he did get last year, his red zone expectation was right around four touchdowns. Now, if he scores those touchdowns and we know he can easily score from long, I mean, he's looking at... What do you have? Four, five last year, nine touchdown season. If, if you give Amari Cooper nine touchdowns with his target volume and his PPR value, I mean, he's sneaking up into the elite ranks. Uh, I think that he can make the jump in year three. I actually really like Amari Cooper. We know he's bulked up in the offseason. Seemingly that's been to help with those, uh, contest, contested catches inside the red zone. So I think I'm probably, a little higher on Amari Cooper than most. Um, Crabtree's still gonna see that red zone volume, but I think that Cooper, even if he improves a little bit, jumps Crabtree pretty easily just because, uh, he is that reliable guy that we talk about. And, and we've seen the, the weeks where, uh, 10 weeks in a row, Crabtree's targeted more than Amari Cooper, but uh Cooper is ascending, kind of like we we talk about with Odell. He still hasn't even reached his peak yet. I don't think we can expect much improvement out of Crabtree, so I want that guy that's trending upwards. Not to say that Crabtree's ter- trending down, but uh, Amari, I think, still has growth to do, and I want to be on the right side of that before it happens.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if he's... Just for some reason, not a good red zone receiver, two for 20 career in the red zone. Even that, I don't think you're going to be a 10% red zone converter throughout your career. So even if he's bad, and the league average, I believe, is about, about one quarter, about 25%. For tight ends, it's a little higher. For wide receivers, it's a little under a quarter. Even if he's just a bad red zone receiver and maybe he ends up being a 20% touchdown guy or something like that there's still going to be some regression baked in there somewhere, some positive regression. So I think Cooper is definitely on the rise. I think he'll definitely improve his numbers. It is difficult sometimes depending on what league you're in to even get him though, because in MFLs a lot of the times he's going right around that Mm -hmm. turn or not lasting too far after that turn. So I haven't actually been able to draft him too much. I would like to have more of him. TJ, would you take Amari Cooper in redraft over T.Y. Hilton, Michael Thomas, or even Jordy Nelson?
0: This is the great thing about playing in MFL tens is I really haven't had to make that decision too much. I've actually been spreading my shares pretty evenly. Uh, with the luck news, I've been cooling off T.Y. Amari and Jordy are pretty much a coin flip. After uh, I've kind of turned the corner on Michael Thomas. I was pretty cool on him earlier in the year just because no Saints receiver ever really dominates target share. Uh, based on Matt Harmon's reception perception, it looks like Thomas could finally be that receiver they haven't had. So I have Thomas ahead of, of Jordy and Amari. I'm probably still giving Jordy the slight bump over Amari even despite the age difference just because the number one receiver attached to Aaron Rodgers, especially because we've seen Jordy be so prolific. Um, I think he has at least one more year. I'm not one that is going to pr- try to predict injury. Uh, so I'm still probably giving a healthy Jordy a slight nod over Amari, but it's by a very, very slim margin.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm really high on Michael Thomas too. I think that you talked about Odell with 20 touchdown upside. I think Michael Thomas has 20 touchdown upside this season because... Drew Brees, we know he's, he has thrown 30, 30 more touchdowns every year since the Obama administration. And we saw Michael Thomas just, anytime he caught the ball in the 10 or inside, it, it was almost an automatic touchdown. I think he was about seven of 10 or seven of 11 from catching the ball in there and turning it into touchdowns. So, I mean, you, you get some, you get some regression, you get some more Kobe Fleener failure in the red zone, and you have, you could have a, quite a few touchdowns for Michael Thomas in, in year two. Let's talk about this next kind of middle tier wide receivers. What are your thoughts on DeAndre Hopkins? He's still going pretty high in redraft. He's 5,800 on DraftKings. Uh, He's going against the Jacksonville Jaguars, who now have two really good corners, I would say, in A.J. Bouye and Jalen Ramsey. And we know that rookie corners um, usually make that jump in year two. So is DeAndre just a fade in week one? I think people are going to probably be on him because he's cheap and he has a high redraft ADP and he's going against the Jaguars.
0: I think people look at, at Hopkins from a couple seasons ago and think that's the real Hopkins. I, I don't think he's in that tier of wide receivers with uh Dez and Jordy Amari. And I, I don't think he belongs there. I think where we're seeing him now after last year is probably uh, about where I would rank him amongst wide receivers, and even them, i still just not too high on having him on any of my redraft teams. There's just a lot of wide receivers that I think um are safer and have higher ceilings. I'm not excited about that Houston offense, uh, regardless of who's going to be throwing in the ball. And You mentioned the, the Jaguars' um, upgrade in defense. I think they're probably at least going to be a little bit better than they were last year. And we know that those games against Jacksonville this year, those are probably going to be um, some relatively slow games because they are going to want to run the ball. No team, I know we're asking about Houston here, but I don't think any team's going to do a a bigger 180 in their overall philosophy than Jacksonville. And if Jacksonville's running the ball a lot, or at least trying to, um, there might not be as many opportunities for Hopkins as we think. He'll, He'll probably still see his nine or 10 targets. I just don't know how uh, high quality those targets are going to be.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's goes back to what I wrote about in the, in in the in the three tendencies article every year under bill o'brien he has a really complex offense and the offense has declined as the quarterback has been less experienced and now we're looking at either tom savage or a rookie and deshaun watson so i think it's going to take some time i think hopkins is a pretty high level nfl receiver but just not on the same um maybe not the same athletically as as a dez or somebody like that but really good route runner but he's just the quarterback situation i don't think that's going to improve Uh, right away for him so tj who are you looking at when you start to dig deeper into these pricing tiers there are a lot of interesting names we have kelvin benjamin going against the 49ers their defense is not expected to be very good you got jarvis landry he's at 5400 on DraftKings in a ppr format he's only 100 hours more expensive than devontae parker and you got Pierre Garcon at 5300. He's a popular redraft pick. Allen Robinson at 5200 going against that slow paced, um, going in, in that slow paced offense going against Houston. And you got Brandon Marshall sitting here at 5100. Cameron Meredith against the Falcons in what could be a game where the Bears will have to throw a lot. You have Jeremy Macklin at 5K, probably a number one receiver. Dante Moncrief. Anybody stick out in that middle tier? Receivers yeah, for the, you. The
0: one guy that really jumps off the page at me, um, especially on DraftKings, is going to be Pierre Garcon. I think he's going to be a, a target monster for San Francisco. Uh, I have some concerns about him in redraft be, just because of his uh, overall upside. I, I don't know how often that offense is going to score, but on DraftKings where you're really trying to lock down those PPR points at an affordable price, uh, Pierre Garcon at 5300 is really intriguing to me, and our our value reports reflect that. We we do have uh some early week 1 projections up and those those are liable to change as we get more information but um early in the season i'm i'm really relying heavily on those and then one guy who who's a little more expensive but um kind of in that in that middle tier 5900 on on DraftKings a little more 6400 on Is Larry Fitzgerald just never that sexy name but um he's going to deliver and he, he's usually in that price range where uh, kind of in that awkward price range where if you build a team, it's often hard to find players to fit into. You usually get a, a pretty, um, a, a pretty low ceiling guy, but we know Fitzgerald is going to get the red zone looks as well as a lot of targets from the slot. So those are the two guys that really jump off the page to me, at least on the first once over on pricing.
1: So, you know, if Pierre Garcon has any trouble, is Marquise Goodwin going to be the guy Cause he's he's the uh, he's 49th in price on Fanduel, but 88th in price on yeah. DraftKings. So so I mean, there's value there, right? Yeah, I
0: don't I don't think I'm going any. I, I wrote <laughs> up uh, the 49ers offense with Shanahan going over there, and, and basically what I said at the end of it was I'm not looking to anyone not named Garcon in that passing offense. Maybe not in that offense at all.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that, I think that other guys will be involved because I do think that Garcon is another guy actually where the schedule just, it is, it could be tough if teams say, you know what? We're just going to sell out to shut him down and make us beat, make the 49ers beat us with those ancillary guys. So, I mean, he's got Sherman a couple of times. He's got Peterson. He's got Vontae. He's got Norman. You know, he's got, he, his schedule is no cakewalk either um so we'll probably see those guys but never gonna be able to predict exactly who so that's an offense that I'm just kind of hands off and real quick before we get into running backs any any just dart throw wide receivers from week one kind of way down in 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 the pricing tiers or even in redraft just sleepers I know Kenny Galladay of the Detroit Lions is getting some buzz right now is there anyone else you're kind of looking at you know Corey Davis is down there at 4k on DraftKings, Robbie Anderson is three point eight k. He'll probably be the Jets' number one wideout. Does anybody stick out way low on the pricing tiers?
0: Um, I think you mentioned Galladay. He's gonna be an interesting guy for me just because he's already kind of shown out in preseason, and we know Detroit's gonna pass a lot. He might be worth a hail mary. Um, I mean, I haven't seen too many guys. I mean, if you want to go get really crazy, I mean. That Oakland-Tennessee game is probably going to be one to target uh, really heavily. Um, If you want to do like a 3,300 Seth Roberts just because he's seen those red zone looks before. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with Paul Richardson uh, because they're saying he's going to be ready for week one after getting banged up. I think targeting a number two pass catcher on Seattle could be an interesting play as well. Um, Not too many other people that are really jumping off the page for me other than those guys. Don't don't play (laughs) Seth Roberts. (laughs) just just, don't just don't I think you know what's interesting
1: I think and I could be wrong but I think Cordero Patterson will probably I think they would like him to get more snaps this year than uh, Roberts actually because I think they're kind of looking for that added element of speed and he did get 5.1 I believe it was targets per game last year once uh, Shermer took over in Minnesota so He turned into a a guy that you could actually leave on the field, um, as opposed to earlier in his career where he just was, was a complete liability as a wide receiver. So I think, I think Patterson, I've actually have a couple of shares of him in, in best ball leagues in 20th round, but I think, I think Patterson might actually end up uh, playing more than Seth this year. I do like Paul Richardson. I think anytime you have a receiver that can go deep and is attached to a very efficient quarterback, such as Russell Wilson, that Richardson is a guy you have to keep in mind, especially if he's playing against the Green Bay Packers in a game where Seattle may need to score a lot of points. So let's let's with that let's go right into running backs and let's start with that same game because I think there's interesting running back situations on both sides. Thomas Rawls is 4800 on DK Eddie Lacy's five. Thousand. which of those two guys do you think ends up winning the job do you think there's merit to drafting Rawls late in redraft or you think Lacey's price is correct in redraft it's a lot higher. I
0: think they should be pressed a lot closer to each other. And, um, just because I don't see either of them really running away with it with the job. I think if they do, it might actually be Rawls. So in any situation, if it's even close, I want the cheaper guy and the difference is pretty significant right now. So, uh, in redraft, if when I, when I say redraft, I'm thinking a little more best ball because that's what I've been playing a lot right now. Um, in all likelihood in a traditional redraft league, you're probably <laughs> going to be able to get Rawls really early in the waiver wire, but if you're playing in a really deep league uh, or a best ball, i am rather kind of take a swing at Rawls just because the chance that Lacey just dominates those touches I think is pretty slim, and we've already seen Rawls get some pretty good run with the first team uh, in preseason. In week one, probably not a situation that I'm going to be looking to uh At all, you just kind of mentioned it could be a situation where the Seahawks have to throw a little bit more than expected. That should be a little bit of a shootout. So probably not going to want to target either of those guys in DFS. But uh, I do like taking some swings at Rawls in redraft leagues.
1: Yeah, I I think he's a perfect redraft pick because I don't really want him in basketball because... If he ends up splitting the job or mm-hmm. I could just drop him in redraft, but I can't, he's on my roster for the whole year. If I'm taking him in best bowl. his ADP is climbing though. I'm looking at fantasy football calculator standard and he's already up there at 805. He's one spot below Cam Newton, one spot above Kirk Cousins. He's above Randall Cobb, Tyra Williams, Hunter Henry, Kyle Rudolph. So I think people are catching on to Rawls. I think Seattle, I don't think they care who wins the job they just wanted more depth after what happened last year so I think if if Rawls kind of puts his best foot forward and wins that job I think they're fine with giving him 18 20 carries a game and giving Lacey you know five to ten I think they'll be fine if it happens the other way too so I think there is some value to be had there because both of them are are kind of going in those middle rounds, but I agree with you, TJ. I think Rawls Rawls is probably the guy. That's that's the value here and probably the favorite uh, for Week One carries. And on the other side of the ball in his Green Bay game is is Ty Montgomery an option against the Seattle defense? They they tend to be stout against the run. Tymon is, uh, 5, on is a fifty eight hundred on Draft Kings, and he is uh, sixty six on Fandle. in six sixty six. Yeah, sixty six on Fanduel. So any interest there or is this just got to wait till week two to kind of yeah,
0: i'm not put them out there i mean there are situations where you can play um a good running back uh, against a tough defense but those are situations where they're the running backs that are going to get uh the workload no matter the game script they are going to see 20 plus touches um not that guy we, i mean he's not gonna if he's lucky he's gonna be a 15 touch a game game guy uh he will get some work in the passing game and. I don't think you can justify this spot to say, well, they're going to be throwing a lot. He's going to be catching the ball out of the backfield. Um, I'm not looking for for that against this defense. Just pretty much a fade against Seattle for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. In week two, Tymon's playing Atlanta. Yeah. Much better matchup for him. So if you're drafting him in redraft... This is something that I've learned a lot since I started playing DFS is that I think there was this old maxim in redraft that, oh, start your studs, start the guys you draft early. And people kind of go into drafts thinking they have to draft a starting lineup. No, there there are going to be so many situations throughout the year where you, you're you going to want to not play the guys you drafted early, even if they're having fine seasons. So I think in week one, if you're drafting TyMont whatever round, fourth, fifth round, wherever he's going in your draft, keep that in mind and try to grab a guy like maybe a Jonathan Stewart, who is, you know, at San Francisco in week one. They are the number 32 32- Schedule adjusted slash uh, off season adjusted ranked defense against running backs by four for four according to our rankings. So they're the projected to still be that worst run defense. Jay Stu, goal line work still probably going to get it even if Christian McCaffrey is stealing some work between the twenties. So you know I wrote about that with his goal line work in, in in the article, so you guys can check it out. But keep that in mind if you're drafting him in redraft. And speaking of Ty Montgomery. Let's talk about another really interesting player who is getting some buzz. He's 4,600 on DraftKings in Week 1, home against Pittsburgh, and that's Duke Johnson. What do you make of this whole, he's playing running back and he's playing wide receiver. I'd look at it as he's probably an Isaiah Crowell injury away from having kind of a Ty Montgomery-like role in that offense. They're already saying they want him to replace Andrew Hawkins, and you know he averaged almost ten yards per catch last year, straight out of the backfield, averaged over four and a half yards per carry. What do you think about Duke? Is this a guy who maybe could get some really interesting usage this season, and even in Week yeah, One?
0: I he's a guy that I haven't um that hasn't really been on my radar, but the fact that he has been playing some wide receiver and some slot is really intriguing. I mean, we've we've seen um, players like Duke Johnson succeed uh, without a lot of rushing volume. Danny Woodhead obviously comes to mind. I don't know if Duke Johnson can have um, that kind of, of touchdown upside. But if you do need to fill a, a, a cheap uh, running back slot or a flex position and you think he's going to see a st- eight or nine targets uh, against a a pittsburgh defense that they're probably going to have to be throwing against that struggled against running backs last year um he's he's at least a a player that i'm not going to uh take off of my list And, and that's really important for me in dfs because that's one of the first things i do is narrow down my player pool before i start um really making my lineups so if if it ends up that I need to save that four or five hundred dollars, and and something something does unfold to week one where we do know that he's going to line up X number of times at wide receiver, and we could project snaps a little bit better than just relying on game script. Then I do think that's a situation to take into account.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well said. I think he's not really an option on FanDuel either. Fifty six hundred, nice price, but as you mentioned, T touchdown upside hasn't been there, probably won't be, but. I- Al Saunders, the Browns receiving coach, a lot of success quickly turning Terrell Pryor from a quarterback into a viable wide receiver. I don't see why he can't have the same success with a guy like Johnson. And I I think if you're playing redraft leagues, you're playing basketball leagues, just scoop this guy up. I mean, if he if he's going to be a slot receiver. And, and be the primary slot receiver. And he also obviously knows how to play running back. As I said before, you're an Isaiah Crowell injury away from him potentially getting that same kind of time Montgomery workload. So I think that's a guy you just, you just have to scoop up and, and see where it goes. It might be nothing, but the signs are there. The ADP isn't out of control at all. Just, just grab him. Let's go, let's go up the, the pricing tiers a little. Cause I know people, you know, every, Seems like for a year and a half, two years now almost, we've had to make these decisions on these DFS slates. And the decision is, are we going to fade the chalk or are we going to play the chalk? And sometimes there's multiple chalk. So we have David Johnson, 9800 on DK, 9400 on FanDuel. Then we have Lev Bell and he's going against the Browns. Um, Johnson against the Lions. So Lev Bell's against the Browns. He's, Sorry, he's ninety eight hundred, Johnson's ninety four hundred, and then on on, on FanDuel, Johnson's ninety four and Bell's ninety-three. So is there a preference between the two? Does price decide it? Does the matchup decide it? Does ownership decide it? Or do you have any thoughts on just how do you choose between Bell and Johnson in week one? And how do you choose between them in in yeah, redraft?
0: I mean, they're so close and so similar in, in what they do and in value that um I haven't made a ton of lineups yet, so it could come down to that $400 uh, price difference on DraftKings making a huge difference. If that is the case, uh, then I'll, I'll just go with the cheaper guy, especially in this situation where the, the matchups are relatively close. We have Cleveland currently ranked 27th against running backs, Detroit 20th. Um, but then look over on Fanduel where they basically have the same price. Probably going to take uh, that slightly... Better matchup for Le'Veon, uh, but but that's really the only discrepancy there for me. Uh, and then in in redraft, it's so close, but I, I give Le'Veon Bell a slight bump just because I love that Pittsburgh offense so much. I love what they do. They're they're going to use their good players so much, and they have done that in Arizona with David Johnson. Um, but he has scored at touchdown rates that. Even though he's done it tw- two times now, uh I, I think his touchdown are going to come down a little bit. So probably they're they're one A and one B. But I just like Bell in that offense a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I think I'm I'm actually probably the exact reversal Not of everything next. you just said. I think I am I'm Johnson on DK because he scores. No, I'm I'm you said Bell on Fandle, right? I go mm-hmm. Johnson on Fandle because he scores the touchdowns, and then on DK even though John um I go John I go um I go Bell yeah even though he's more expensive I go Bell on DK just because he hasn't even though he has I think he's the best running back of our the current generation you know the the post AP you know Charles generation I think Bell is clearly just the best runner um the touchdown upset hasn't been there as much so I kind of go with him on DK to get you know that that little cushion there in case he gets a lot of touches and receptions and yards, but maybe doesn't punch it in. I get that yardage bonus, et cetera. So that's where I'm at. And then season long is kind of the same thing. Just because DJ, they, he's shown that touchdown upside. He's been used. It's it's not like, like I think he's due for some regression, but at the same time, like Pittsburgh, for example, just, just to show how, how little they, 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 they run when they get kind of in close, they've gone for 22 point conversions over the past two years mm-hmm. and passed on all 20 of them. So. It's it's one of those situations where I think they just don't like running as much in in close. So that's that's probably why I have to give the slight edge to DJ. He's getting those thirty. Arian says he wants to give him thirty touches a game. Bell got twenty eight last year. Johnson was at around twenty three, twenty four per game. So I'm fine with DJ over Bell um in, in redraft. But I was I was Bell over DJ for a large part of the off season. It wasn't until I heard the thirty touch thing that I kind of said, all right, you know what, I'm fine with fine with going DJ number one. Um, and what about that, that next tier that's given a lot of people trouble, I think, in, in redraft? You have Shady McCoy. He's going against the New York Jets in week one at home, home favorite. You can stack him with the Bills D. That's probably the chalk play. You have either Elliott or McFadden, depending on what happens with the appeal, going against a tough, Giants defense. Then you have DeMarco Murray going against the Raiders. I feel like the Raiders are a team that people like to target in DFS. It just seem, seem like they have a bad defense, no matter if they do or don't. Um, you got Devontae Freeman at the Chicago Bears. Jay Ajayi home against Tampa Bay, but now it's going to be Cutler and Tannehill. You have Jordan Howard coming off that really good season last year, home against the Falcons. And then you have Todd Gurley at home against the Indianapolis Colts, who Tend to struggle in run defense, and you have Leonard Fournette on the road uh, against Houston. He's not even guaranteed a starting job yet. He hasn't taken it yet. I should say, I think he will by week one. Any of those running backs stick out? Any of those guys you're targeting in week one? And same question for redraft. Any of those guys you're targeting? Any of those guys? Uh, Redraft
0: is pretty easy for me. I tend to after Le'Veon and David Johnson. I tend to start looking at the wide receivers in in the first and early second round, just because that's how I like building my redraft teams. I'm usually playing in, full PPR leagues with three wide receivers and a flex or three wide receivers and two flex positions. So because of of the scoring systems that I usually play in, I I don't end up with a lot of these running backs on my team. If we're looking at week one, because of the matchup, Jordan Howard really jumps out uh, at me. Chicago, uh, I mean, Atlanta was really bad against running backs last year. And I think they're probably going to be at least as bad um, this year they especially struggled, um, in letting running backs catch the ball. Now that's not necessarily Jordan Howard's going to do, but I, I do think that Atlanta is just so bad against the position that he's the guy that jumps off the page to me. Um, only guy that I'm really not too excited about is Todd Gurley. I, I'm just, I just need to see it from Gurley before I'm going to invest redraft or DFS capital in him.
1: That's funny because <laughs> Gurley is probably my favorite play of those guys. I think that again, I just, I just really believe in Sean McVay and what he can do for this offense with, with a little better offensive line. And I think we see these overcorrections happen where Gurley was going in the top five last year in redraft. Now he's at the end of the second round. And the truth is he probably deserves to go somewhere in the middle. He probably deserves to go probably early second, maybe even late first in that same category as the Ajayis and the, and the Howards. But I, you know, 6K. In that, in that price range on DK, I think he's a really interesting pick because I don't think many people trust him. He's 73 on FanDuel as well. So I'll probably have a lot of girly in week one unless something happens between now and then. And I think Sammy Watkins only helps that cause just from the perspective of it'll probably decrease the amount of loaded boxes he he gets just a little bit and McVay one thing I found when I was doing research because I really dug into the Rams with McVay because I was really interested into just number one how was Jeff Fisher so bad and how did he just screw this up so much and his regime and just everyone and 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 two what makes Sean McVay so good and why is he why was he the youngest coach ever to get hired and one of the you know he's just he's just a really kind of sharp guy and like I said the, the talent has already been there with Gurley we've seen it we've seen it there we've seen him produce I think that you know, McVay is going to, one of the things he's going to do is he's going to install more run pass options so that Goff can check out of loaded box situations. And Gurley doesn't have to run into those situations as often. Why wasn't he doing that last year? I don't know. Is it, uh, you know, a Jeff Fisher thing? Was it a, just a rookie thing? I don't know, but he's supposed to do that. Gurley has been lining up in the slot. He's been lining up out wide. Lance Dunbar, we don't even know how, how much he can stay healthy or what's going on with him as of now. So, I think Gurley's is a really interesting play. I, I don't think he'll be that highly owned um unless a lot of people catch on before week 1 and he starts getting uh highly touted. Um and, and in any any other running backs in in the lower pricing tiers. I know it's early and the running backs kind of emerge closer to week 1 when guys get injured, but the rookies, for example, let's talk about the rookies really quick before we get out of here. Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon. We have these guys and they're all going in a early pretty early in in fantasy drafts any of those guys do you favor um, and let's throw in you have Amir Abdullah kind of in the same price range He's really cheap on draftings 4300 is there any guy those rookies or second year guy or, or, or young guys like like a like Abdullah that that you're looking at
0: I'm really curious to uh, see how dalvin cook performs Minnesota was one of the worst run blocking lines one of the worst lines overall in the league last year and they pretty much overhauled that line through the draft and through free agency switched up their their blocking scheme and it looks like dalvin cook now is uh kind of on the inside track to at least in in week one to get the to get the line share of the work i, I don't know if uh, latavius murray is going to be healthy enough to uh really cut in that workload early in the season and, and then if, if dalvin performs well uh then he, he could run away with that starting job so he's one for me that I'm I'm gonna be really interested in. I'm not excited about Sean McCaffrey in the Carolina offense. Um I, I wrote this up a little bit earlier in the offseason. I'm we know it's kind of a, a chicken or an egg problem with the Panthers. They've never thrown to the running back but they've never had anyone to throw to uh Cam Newton just cannibalizes running back upside because those scoring opportunities uh for running backs are places where Cam's going to run it in. And then these spots where Cam is supposed to throw short or throw checkdowns, those are also spots where Cam runs, wants to run the ball. They, being the Panthers, said that they want Cam to run less. Cam almost immediately came out and said he's not running less. So how much tension is there going to be in them trying to get him to, to throw short when he needs to. I mean, they've had the, the fewest amount of throws or the, the lowest percentage of throws um, under 15 yards since they drafted Cam Newton. So I'm not just going to bank on the fact that Christian McCaffrey's going to walk in and and be the player that people want him to be. We've seen this cj spiller reggie bush type player before and it it just barely rarely works out over an extended period of time
1: yeah i think and this is why i love dfs because in redraft given the adps of christian mccaffrey going in third the fourth the fifth round given the adp of cam newton who's going sometimes as high as the eighth round the seventh round in redraft the clear play to mm-hmm. me is jonathan stewart because he's going to get the red zone work he's probably going to get the goal line work uh, Cam Newton averages .91 fantasy points per rush in his career, .43 fantasy points per pass attempt. So any rushing volume Cam loses is not going to be good for him, period, for his fantasy value. Even if he increases his passing efficiency, it net, it net it will be bad for him. And then, you know, like you, like you mentioned, we don't know about McCaffrey's workload. So in, in redraft, Jonathan Stewart is the play, but that is just not fun, and that's just unsexy. So I love DFS because maybe it won't happen in week one, but Christian McCaffrey, to me, he's just nasty. Like, like I could completely see him being this year's Tyreek Hill or something like that. At the same time, like just continuously scoring touchdowns from far distances. And if he's if he if I if we start to see that, I'm playing him in DFS, even if his projection for touches is like ten or twelve, I'm playing him because. He's just good to me. He's he's really good player and he he actually averaged 27 touches per game in his last two years at Stanford. So that's why you guys play DFS. Um, again, t-shirts free. Rate and review the pod on iTunes. Tweet us and we'll announce the free t-shirt winners. We'll do uh we'll do three free t-shirts. So we're gonna give out three free t-shirts uh for next week. We'll announce them on the pod. Be sure to leave that rate and review and also. Give us a retweet and we'll get you those uh, results next week. And be sure to check out the uh, 444 DFS subscription. A lot of things coming this year that I think you guys are going to like. Added a few new writers to the team. Uh, a lot of new features to the lineup generator. All the things you guys have asked for as far as stacking options and, and logic and, and whatnot. Um, created some new value formulas that I think you guys are going to like that better account for the differences between positions and ranking players between positions and, 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 and just not using such a linear, uh, point per dollar, um, uh, uh, multiplier. Um, created some GPP leverage formulas that take into account, uh, ownership and, and uh and projected value, you know, a lot of a lot of cool things coming in twenty seventeen to the four for four DFS subscription. So go check that out. Make sure you sign up. And TJ man, it was
0: good. Good good. Yeah, good felt get nice back just to reiterate here, man. to all the listeners. We are coming back with the full week one breakdown. We just wanted to kind of put out our first thoughts on week one pricing since it came out so early. Uh, but a ton is going to change between now and week one with injuries, preseason news and whatnot. So, uh, be sure to keep listening for that full breakdown and we're going to keep, uh, uh, bringing some, some preseason talk to you guys. Excited to be back. Excited to make this money. Yeah, man. Definitely. We'll be back. We'll
1: do the strategy pods. I think we'll probably start doing them next time. We just wanted to kind of get some thoughts out on week one pricing. We'll probably do, maybe we'll do a pod on the quarterbacks and the tight ends and then we'll get into the, the strategy pods will do one for each position: QB, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Maybe we'll mix kicker and defense together into one. Also, be sure to check out um, the the strategy guys that I've been releasing on Four for Four. We have the quarterback uh, DFS playbook out right now, as well as the running back DFS playbook. So you can find those on Four for Four in the article DFS tab, or you can just t- check my Twitter timeline. I am at Chris Raybon on Twitter. That's C-H-R-I-S-R-A-Y-B-O-N. And make sure you follow TJ as well. Always putting out a lot of great stats and information on his timeline. He's at TJ Hernandez. That's T-J-H-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. Spelling it out. For the new listeners, first-time listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. We will be back real soon with another DFS MVP pod. Let's get this money.
0: For the deceased, but no, don't Why clefts in the state of sleep? Thinking about the robbery that I did last week. Money in the bag, banka look like a drag. I want to play with Pelicans from here to Baghdad. Gun blast, think fast, I think I'm hit. My girl pinched my hips to see if I still exist. I think not, I'll send a letter to my friends. A born again, the hooligan, no need to be king again. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you.